Welcome, welcome. This is the Enlightenment Show, and I'm your host, Laurie Schoenfeld. This is where chicken soup for the soul meets the artist way with Nancy Drew. Our guest today is Josh Mallerman, author of Daphne. We're going to be chatting with him all about his new release and a moment when he was in a race against time. Welcome, Josh. Hi. That introduction music was awesome, by the way. It's very investigative. <laughs> yeah. It's also like it's, it's also like the beginning of like a thriller or something, which made me, I, I'm probably ruining that by pointing that out, but it made me feel like we were beginning a thrilling thing. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, day made, because that's the essence of what I was hoping for. So thank you. <laughs> what is playful in your world right now, Josh? Wow, what is playful hmm. in my world right now? Um, I'll <laughs> tell you, I I feel like something happened with Mallory when I wrote Mallory, like a follow up to Bird Box, right? A sequel. And a lot of people at the time were asking, is there like a lot of pressure on this? Because you're following mm -hmm. up this like a, a best selling book and all this. And I, it, it was weird because I hadn't taken stock of it before. But I, I recognized that there wasn't. I didn't feel any. Mm -hmm. And But because I was asked about it, I looked inward and sort of took stock of the fact that, like, no, I still feel exactly the same about writing books as I did the 20 years before I was published, <laughs> right? And that realization has made the, I think it's already like six, seven books since, all feel very playful to me all of them where it feels like that of course that there's a mountain of work um, you know i'm not only mm -hmm. that but, but there's a sense of like complete liberation if you're not feeling pressure for mallory josh then you're good to go and then there was some there was some freedom in in analyzing that so writing writing new novels is very playful for me and and songs mm-hmm can you share with our listeners and viewers what Daphne is all about? Well, you know, it's interesting because with most books, and definitely this is the case with Bird Box, um, there's a sense of like, and definitely with songs, there's a sense of like, let the, the reader or let the listener say what it's really about, right? So with Bird Box, I had to get a message, is this, is this um, actually about like when you look out your window, the madness of society? I'm like, well, you know, or is this, you know, some people wrote me like, does this have to do with like computer chips? I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> but but to each their own. It's like a Rorschach test. And and I think that most songwriters would say whatever someone gets from it. Mm. Daphne's different. Daphne actually is about anxiety. Daphne actually is Daphne, the character, actually is a panic attack coming for Kit Lamb, the star of the book. So for viewers, the book is essentially it's about a high school girls basketball team and in the town of Samhattan, in the city of Samhattan. And I wouldn't say that, uh, or no, I definitely wouldn't say that the people of Samhattan have intentionally um, repressed the idea of Daphne. But in the same way that someone experiences trauma and then represses possibly the memory of it. The city of San Juan has seemingly forgot about this horrible thing with Daphne years ago. And so Kit and her buddies, 
start thinking about her again. And just like anxiety and just like panic, the more you think about it, well, it doesn't always work that way, but the more you think about it, the closer it gets. And eventually, either way, eventually you're going to have to deal with it. So Daphne, seven foot tall, denim clad, mad woman, smells like the bar. And she's just getting closer and closer to these uh, to these basketball players. Mm -hmm. Kit, I loved her character for many reasons. What were three characteristics that you loved most about Kit? I loved that she accepted that she has anxiety. That's just, there's no denying it for her. That's, that's that. I love that she found some sort of outlet in her journal that, that to her, because, um, and that she even re referred to it by name, Jolly, so that she could have <laughs> literally a conversation with herself. <laughs> and, and I also, I love that, like, she's a, maybe a little young for this, but when she makes that, like that game winning shot, right? Right away, she understands right away in the moment she understands there's more to life than this. If that makes sense. Like, she's not like, this is everything. It's like, this is happening, but also I'm dealing with anxiety. I'm dealing with panic and I'm going to be dealing with this for the rest of my life. Even right now, my friends are cheering for me. I'm freaking out. So there's a certain, for 17, she's pretty philosophical already. And I love that about her. Yes. I loved, Josh, your depiction of anxiety and what it feels and looks like. It was very authentic, as well as talking about Jolly's journal. I really related to that, of having that form of expression to try to put your anxiety and fear somewhere to understand. Yeah. Why was that topic important for you to write about? You know, sometimes I feel like like the internet in general and how people talk about how Twitter's an angry place and this kind of stuff. Sometimes I wonder how much of what we're seeing is people that don't have outlets. Like you have outlets, you write, you have a show. I have outlets, I write songs, I'm in a band, I have this. So when I go online, I don't necessarily feel the need to express myself in full on, on a social media site because mm -hmm. I'm doing that already. Or, or in parts already. So it doesn't feel like all this pressure to be, this is where I stand. This is everything I believe in. This is what I'm angry about all the time. And I think that for someone to have something like that in their life and Kit, especially for this conversation and Kit to have that in her life, it's like such a healthy thing. It's like, in a sense, it's like having a therapist, right? Mm -hmm. It's someone to talk this out with and, and eventually I've never been, I went to one actually when I was like 17 or something, but I, I, I have friends that go now and I have a good friend that is one. And I wonder like how much like that would benefit me or you or whatever, just, just not for any individual problem or issue, but just to talk like you and I are right now. And cause like you and I, this is an event, but what if, what if this was once a week or, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that serves that purpose for a kid. And I also think that your show, your writing, my writing serves that purpose for us in our lives. But it's mm -hmm. almost like, it's not like you write and then you're like, now I'm good. You know, it's not like, <laughs> I wrote a book, I'm all, I'm happy and I know everything about myself now. No, 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 no. It, it, it's, it's like very, we're talking 
incremental like gradations of, you know, there's times like, let's say if I'm about to get on a flight, right? I'll be like, like nervous, paralytically nervous, but maybe a drink, it doesn't make like one drink doesn't make you feel like, all right, I can fly the plane. No, it just, it brings that anxiety level down just a hair where now you're still scared, but you'll get on the plane. And I think that writing, and I think this is true of Kit too. I think that writing does that too. It doesn't mean you figure everything out, but it takes some higher edge off and you mm -hmm. feel like you are expressing yourself and you are talking about these things. A hundred percent. Like, I love how you mentioned the, the layers, Josh, of your constantly learning. You're never done. There's always something to continue to keep looking into and oh, yeah. to check out. Yeah, for sure. You are passionate about basketball. Yeah. What do you enjoy most about it? I mean, gosh, you know, I, my dad introduced it to me. Um, I mean, we, you know, our whole childhood, I, I was fascinated with the numbers of it growing up. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I've just loved it from day one and all like the characters, all the players and the game itself and playing with friends and, we'd all hang out at the gym like endlessly. And and you know, I was falling in love with it about the same time I was starting to fall in love with, with horror movies and scary movies and, and, and seeing a similar, I don't want to say mystery, but a, a certain magic in both in, in mm -hmm. playing a game with a bunch of friends in scaring the hell out of yourself with a bunch of friends. And I think I feel the same way with music, like playing in a band is similar to that where, you know, sometimes, somebody might say, you know, your band sounds like not, not poppy, but a lot brighter than the books. But to me, it all, everything we're talking about right now is coming from the same fun, but thoughtful like place. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Like it's all coming from a similar, I don't want to say arrested development, but that is something I sort of cherish actually. Mm -hmm. and I, I think that both, let's say basketball, uh, rock and roll, horror, there is like a certain arrested development about it that, that it's not that you're refusing to become an adult, but you're bringing childhood wonder with you into adulthood. Mm -hmm. I know that with like being a horror fan as a, as a grown man. Yeah. <laughs> Your inner child is alive through, yes. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Through games, through scares, through uh, cool songs, but all this to say, it's not, I, I, and I feel like, I don't know why I feel compelled to point this out continuously, but all <laughs> not just fun. It's not, you know, there, there's a ton of work going on over here, but there is something about that childhood wonder, like, because mm. I, I, just yesterday, I saw like a 10 second freaky, like gif or whatever, a clip on Twitter. There was like this, like like a face in a closet that was really freaky. And for the duration of like an hour, like I believed that it was something more than just someone in a closet in a cool angle. And that is something, you know, like I feel like maybe uh, someone my age or something might be like, oh, it's uh, just somebody with a painted face in a closet, right? But when you're kids, you both be scared of it. Mm -hmm. To be able to have brought that into adulthood, I think is awesome. Mm -hmm. yes and it ties to a lot of like the parts in your book what you think about the imagination is kind of what you bring into your reality whether it's like your fears your anxieties just your perspective in general 
of bringing that essence more fully in depth to where you are right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, a hundred percent, you know, that this is why like sometimes I'll find myself like feeling bad for someone that's maybe like a jerk or something because mm -hmm. I'll just remind myself like, like this is their worldview. Like this is the, like, if somebody, you know, is closed minded or a total a-hole or whatever. And even if they're a jerk to me or something, I'll find myself, my initial reaction is to feel bad for them that they're coming, that they're in this place, that they're seeing the world through this lens. You know, yeah. someone that like gets online and only says like just really mean things. To, mm -hmm. I can't imagine doing that. So we are coming from different like lenses. And, and I think that, what is that saying? Well, perception is reality, right? I mean, which is mm -hmm. so. And maybe never so much as with Daphne. <laughs> the more you think about her, the closer she gets and the more real she's like coming to get you, which, you know, I mean, I've been looking for an angle on number one, a sports team. I tried writing a book. I did write a book about a track team. Um, it was called Track and Field. I wrote it. God, I don't know what year now, like 10, 10 years ago or something like that. And and I loved it, but it, did, it was like missing something to me. It was missing some link between the team and the, and whatever they were dealing with. And I was in the office uh, working on, like at first, Daphne was a novella at first. It was going to be. And I was like, oh, man, what about like, because I've been dealing with my own like nervous stuff, of course. Mm -hmm. like, oh, what if there's like a monster that like literally is a panic attack? Like, a doo -doo 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 -doo. if we could have a book, you could almost hear that like your opening music playing the whole time <laughs> as this thing is getting like closer and closer. And and then Daphne just, I mean, she just like stepped through the office door, fully formed in her coat, height, the smell mm -hmm. of her, the bare hands, immediately fully formed. And I was like, you are a panic attack. I'm writing your story. Mm -hmm. You did such an amazing job with writing that too. I felt all the feeling, not only as a reader, but being someone that's experienced anxiety attacks and panic attacks, like you really wrote truth to what it feels like that monster and that beast that you can kind of outrun sometimes, but it's always just there, uh -huh. just sitting in the back of your mind. Like it's just always there. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's like at some point, and I think Kit is kind of like this from the start. Um, you have to accept that that's in the room with you mm -hmm. because if you're like trying to fight it, like there's a, I'm not trying to quote myself, but there's an idea in the book that says that like kids, like I've never heard of somebody getting through one panic attack because they survived the one before. So mm -hmm. that's the nature right there. And you, I would love to hear about, I would love to hear about your panic attacks. <laughs> Sounds amazing. It's like, oh Josh! <laughs> if you want to be in a moment where you can't breathe and you literally feel like you're dying and yeah. you can see everything going on around you, but you're paralyzed and you can do nothing in that moment, that was a few of mine. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I, I remember sitting on the couch once with uh, I think Allison was in the kitchen, and I just felt it like start like in the book, like the bottom sort of the bottom back of the neck, and like this feeling of like. Oh, why am I scared right now? And then it was like, uh oh, and like paralytically afraid. So, mm -hmm. you know, real fast, it's it's in the afterword, but I I I want to say this in case um, a viewer doesn't read that or something. 
one of the best like advice or, or the best advice I've ever got was Allison one time. Allison is my fiance, everyone. Allison. Hey, Allison. <laughs> she's like in this room right over there. She, um, she one time asked me like, have you ever tried timing them before these episodes, right? And I'm like, fuck no, like who, oh, sorry. I'm like, I'm like, who wants to, like, who wants to like time? I like, I just want to get through it. You don't want to address it. You don't want to talk about it because then it's real. You don't want to, you don't want to discuss it because then it's real. You just want to get through it. She was like, just time it. Just look at your phone before and like the, like the peak of it, time it. And the first, I did it. And it was about seven minutes long. And I was like, wow, that was seven minutes. That felt like, like 70, but okay. Yeah. Next time it happened, I did it again. And it was about seven minutes. I did it again. It was about seven minutes. And that was different because whereas it's the nature of anxiety that you believe it each time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it, you would have it one time and never have it again. You'd be like, no, I'm just, you know, I'm just freaking out. No, if you are freaking out, you believe it. That's what the freaking out is. But to have that number seven in the background now, like, can you, can you get through seven minutes? You're like, I can do that. Yes. I loved that part in the book so much because I thought that's brilliant, Allison. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So I've thought about sensory details. For me, I think about playing the piano for whatever reason, like certain keys, I think in my head during my panic attack and that works for me, but I've never done the timing thing, which also sounds really, really helpful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So wait, so you play the piano. I do. Okay. Awesome. So when you're in a moment like that, like you actually imagine keys and chords or like, tell me what you mean, maybe, because that's super interesting. I imagine myself at the piano with my fingers on the keys and the feeling that I feel in that moment, right before I touch the keys, like that magic feeling of like, I'm grounded, I'm okay, I'm safe. You know, that feeling right before, like it's that magic of here we go. Yeah, um, that feeling, just that visual for me is enough to be like, okay, you're feeling this, but you're safe. Like, just sit there. We're wow. okay. And do you actually um, go to the piano and do that? Or you just think of it? Sometimes when I'm not, there's moments when I'm really paralyzed and there is no movement. Yeah. So I just sit there and I visualize it and yeah. that's what I can do in that moment. There are a few times that I can move or I'm close to the piano enough to sit there, but most of the time it's just visualizing. Right. Because again, that's the nature of the beast, right? It's mm-hmm. it's like immobilizing. Yeah. It's not like because somebody that doesn't experience this would be like, Well, what do you mean? Just just get up and go do this. Like, oh, like a big one someone would say is go for a walk. I'm like, walk. I can't even like stand up right now, dear. <laughs> I'll think of the leaves and how it might feel. That's what it can maybe be. Yes. Yeah, so that's interesting. That's that is cool. I've never I hadn't thought of like like consciously thinking of I don't want to call it a safe place, but something nice like that. Yeah. Something like on the verge of something nice, like on the verge of playing the piano, on the verge of writing a book, mm-hmm. on the verge of laughing or something with a friend. So I haven't I've never thought about yeah. that. That's cool. Yeah. We have some comments coming in for you, Josh. Dion Foster, hello, hello. Now I'm curious how many <laughs> drinks you need to fly a plane. Yes. How many would that be, Josh? <laughs> I, I think that answer is a dozen. <laughs> That's a Mallerman dozen. <laughs> how many drinks take to offer it, to fly the plane? <laughs> is that guy's it a really thing for you, Josh? Say it again. 
is it a height thing for you? Are you scared of heights or what, what's the whole feeling? I think it's the, I can't get off this ride. I think it's that. Mm. I think it's the like, mm. can't, get, can't get off this ride. But at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, like there was one time where I didn't fly to Boston actually. Um, Cause I was like, nope. And I just turned around and left the airport. This is like eight years ago now or something. But I've flown like a ton of times since then. And um, it seems like it's more like the buildup to it. Like if the plane was in the street outside and I just mm-hmm. get on board, let's roll. That sounds fine. Let's go. Mm-hmm. The getting there and the security and you got to get there at this time and you got to wear this and you got to, you know, take your shoes off. And like, it's like this, it feels like this big event, mm-hmm. even though it's kind of really not. It feels mm-hmm. like this giant buildup leading up to it every time. The bill uh, for sure, because it's that time thing of rushing, which gives me anxiety yeah. on the rush and the movement, and like you go, 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 go. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I totally get that. Alan, welcome. Alan says hi there. Just finished reading Bird Box, and I'm planning to start inspection. I was wondering Ooh. what your writing process looks like, and how hard was it for you in the beginning as a writer? Great question, Alan. Wow. Um. Well, the writing process is, uh, what's the right word? There's no uniformity between books, but there is within each book. So Bird Box was written um, every day. I'd wake up at like 7 a.m. I'd write from about 8 to noon, about 4,300 words a day. It was a real, real wonderful experience, that one, Uh, until it was done. It took about like 26 days, I think it was. And it was the same every day. Um, the last one I did, Incidents Around the House, was actually, I think it was about eight at night till around midnight every day till it was done. And that was more like 2,500 words a day. Wendy, the first book, was midnight till 4 a.m. Each session is about mm. three, four hours, which that seems true of like every writer, which is so weird. Mm-hmm. No matter how much or how little you write, no matter how famous or how whatever you are, if you ask for writing, they're like, oh, like three or four hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what? That's, that's, that's like some, someone's got to write write a book about three or four hours and, 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 and look into that. <clears throat> so no uniformity overall, no word count. I think the most I ever did was Carol, Unbury Carol at 5,300 words a day. That was insane. Um, and then the least, I, I tried a book at 500 a day to see what it was like. And it was just, it was grueling. It was like, it was like dressing in like clothes that weren't yours for um, for two months, you know. It, it was oh, it was terrible. Um, but I'll never do that again. <laughs> but I did do it though, and so no uniformity that way. But and in terms of, I think your second half was what was did he say? Was it like hard yeah. in the early days as a writer? Yes. How hard was it for you in the beginning as a writer? So um, there were there was a ten year stretch between ages nineteen and twenty nine where I tried to write a novel. Uh, I made it 300 pages into one, which, I mean, I have that. It's in this crate right next to me. I could literally walk over to this crate, write the end on it, and I don't even care where it stops. Just write the end, and that one's done, right? But I didn't know how to do, I didn't know how to end back then. So between 19 and 29, (laughs) I failed, meaning I just didn't finish. And then at 29, I finished uh, my first one. I just had a breakthrough. Well, I'll tell you real fast, Alan, real fast. I was like, I'm going to write two books at once. One was this sort of like lofty artist story. And the other one was this like real, whatever, a horror novel. 
<laughs> and I wrote, because the idea was, if I get stuck in this one, I'll jump to this one. And when I get stuck in this, I'll jump. And by, by the end of this, I'm going to have one of these done. And I made it like a couple pages into the lofty one, turned my attention to the other one and just ripped through it, just ripped through it. And I do wonder, Alan, like if I finished that one, it was because I had something to compare it to. I would rather write this idea than this other one that was also on the table. And I think that there was something inspiring about that. It got me through like finishing that first one. Mm-hmm. Really hey, great. Question. Yeah, great question. Ryan, hello, Ryan says, we're in peak spooky season. Do you have any recommendations for us, books or movies? Yes, for October. It is a fun time indeed. <laughs> you know, there's a book that I always recommend that I love called The Loney. Did you read The Loney? No. Man, that book is good. Andrew Michael Hurley. I have it right, right here. Yep. This one, The Loney. Oh, that cover too. That's fun. The branches. Nice. Yes. Um, this book is so brilliant. And I'm, I'm just, I'm a fan of like, especially a fan of the books that like, you don't know exactly why it's unsettling. So like Ian Reed, um, Foe is like that. Mm-hmm. Pen Pal, Nathan Arbach's like that. Where you don't, you can't really like, uh, Shirley Jackson's like that. Where you can't really put your, it's not like there's someone in the room. It's not like we heard a sound. It's just two people talking in a car or something. And you're like, why am I so uneasy right now? Those are the books that really, really thrill me. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like like sex and violence are already knives. But if you can cut me with something else, then that's really like unsettling or something to me. And these two are Mm -hmm. Reed's first book. These two are just talking in a car. Like for, it feels like 300 pages. And you're like, why is this so unsettling? You know? And and, and you start to like, I almost don't want to know why. I just want (laughs) And on the movie side, um, what did I just see that was? Well, that Mr. Harrigan's phone was great, but I saw, um, what was it called? Uh, I think it's called Deadstream. Did you watch that one? No. (laughs) It seems like a weird question to ask someone. (laughs) Have you seen Deadstream? And and no, it was... uh, it was crazy. It's like a, it's like an influencer like spending the night in a haunted house, and you know, uh, a modern horror movie that is one of my favorites is called Scare Me. And what I love about it is, is that it's just two like writers in a cabin telling each other scary stories, mm-hmm. but we don't cut to their story. Instead, they add the audio, like real audio, to them just telling a story. So if the if the girls like, and then I open the door you'll hear like a creaking door sound. And if the guy's like, and then I pull out my gun, it's just his finger, but you hear the of a gun. And like, so it's all awesome, like sound design. And it's really just these two in a, in a cabin. I'm, I guess I'm a big fan of like, that sort of like, I don't want to say like different for different sake, but like that, like a fresh way of doing something. Yeah. But you can tell that it's like, I don't know how to explain it. Like that, that, that the storytellers are still totally in control. Yes. Yes. I like the sensory details too, Josh, of like, cause it gives that essence again of that unease of hearing a sound, but that one sound tells so much by what you're hearing too. Yeah. Very creative. Oh, totally. I know you hear like a growl in the background and, and you're like, it's just like, oh, and it's freaky. Yeah. And it, it's really just a, it's funny. It's smart. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. Hi, Ryan. Why do you love horror and playing on fears? Is Do you like being scared to an essence or is there more to it? Well, I think, I think it goes back to partly goes back to that, uh, that cherished arrested development. I think that it mm -hmm. partly goes back to that, like, I don't want to call it a founding youth, but some sort of like maintaining that childish wonder. But yeah. another part of it is that for the duration of the scare, and let's say if I'm like freaked out or like we were talking about being unsettled in the Ian Reed book or, or totally freaked out in a movie, whatever, for the duration of the scare, it suggests there's more. It suggests there's more than this. Mm -hmm. And that's a very thrilling thing to someone who likes existing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very thrilling that like there, there is uh, possibly more that we don't know about and that kind of thing. Because if I'm scared yes. of that painted face in the closet, what, mm -hmm. am, what am I scared of then? Well, I'm scared of this thing from, from where? In a weird way, encountering a monster of any sort or a ghost of any sort is like the most optimistic thing that we could ever do, right? Because it implies that it, it would be proof or implies there is more. Mm -hmm. And I think that horror does that for me. It's like it scares the shit out of me. And then it's also like, oh, God, I hope that's true. Yes. Yeah. The research and the wonder of like, okay, I'm terrified, but also I want to know more of what's going on here that I don't know for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. I get that. Sean, hello. Sean says, what are some books you've read recently that you've enjoyed or have inspired you somehow? Someone recently, um, and I just met him the other night, Sean, at a, at a reading in Michigan. Um, Someone recently I read, I went on a bender with Toni Morrison and Philip Roth. And it was really bizarre because they don't write anything alike, mm -hmm. but they're both absolutely incredible in different ways. And, and after a while, it started to feel like he was my dad and she was my mom. And it felt like he was like kind of like a bad influence. He's always writing about like, like bullshit. <laughs> and like, and then she's writing about some like heavy, like truth stuff. And it, and it started to feel like the second I would start being like, like thinking more like him, like she would slap my hand and be like, no, you need to be, you need to be more real about this. And then he would be, and I, I read like a handful from each of them. And that was one of the more, more inspiring uh, reading experiences in my life, going back and forth between Tony Morrison and Philip Roth was incredible. I would, if I was ever a teacher, I would recommend. I would just give that same experience to the to the kids, yeah, to the students for different perspectives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and like both of them touching greatness, both of them achieving great, like literally greatness, in totally different ways. And so yeah. to see that too is inspiring to you as a writer. Because it reminds you there's not only one way to do it. And if there's more than one way to do it, your way to do it could work also. Not to sound like Tony Robbins, but. Yes. Get <laughs> to Tony Robbins, though, too. Yes. Keep on doing your thing for sure. Tom, welcome. A panic attack for me feels like the earth is trying to fling me off into oblivion. And I have, and I have to hold on to anything to stop it. Yes, yes. Tom, wow. sending lots of love to you. That's it's hard to be in that moment. That's, that's an interesting. That's an interesting way of seeing it. That's a. That's almost more, um, Tom. That's almost more. Uh, what's the right word? More, has more agency than mine. Mine is like I'm flattened. Like like I'm mm -hmm. like, like even even being thrown into oblivion sounds like like more 
agency than, than what I encounter. That, that sounds, that is very interesting, man. I've never heard someone mm -hmm. put it that way. Interesting. I'd love mm -hmm. to talk to more about that one day. Jennifer agrees. Hi, Jennifer. So happy to see you today, girl. Yes, Tom, exactly that. And we have Allison. Hello, my dears. Great to see your face. Hi, Allison. Hi, so you. <laughs> okay, Christine has a dying question. Hi, Josh. Can we expect any more movie releases coming soon? Maybe Mallory. Great question, Christine. Hey, Christine. Uh, Christine, as a, we were neighbors in Michigan <laughs> for too short a time. Allison and I moved out like, gosh, it seems like less than a year uh, after Allison and I met or something. But anyway, Christine's amazing. Um, movies, a lot of exciting things happening. Um, there is traction in, in a big way with, um, I'm just going to, I'll just say it. Um, <laughs> a short story of mine called The Jupiter Drop. And, a, and that's in a big way. There's Chad, there's uh, Daphne is already good stuff is happening. Yes, awesome. Um, yeah. Um, a book of mine that I haven't put out yet called Pest. Good stuff is happening. Um, there is a like a Bird Box spinoff movie that is coming out soon called Bird Box Barcelona. And it, oh. I have nothing to do with it. Well, except for that I wrote Bird Box. But I have, not, I have nothing <laughs> I have nothing to do with it. And and it's coming out on Netflix like soon. Um, there's nothing to do with Mallory or anything. And the most I know about Mallory, the 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 movie side of that is that Sandra Bullock picked the screenwriter. So that's obviously a good sign because if she's on board, then it'll happen. And for her to pick the screenwriter implies that it could happen. But I mean it's it's entirely on her. Like if she wants to do it, it happens. And if she doesn't, I guess. I guess it still could, but I, I imagine that she's the green light herself, if that makes sense. Yeah. So stuff. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. You got Jennifer all excited over here because now she's like, "Can we ever expect an Unbury Carol movie? It's my all-time favorite, and it's so beautiful and terrifying." Yes. Thanks, Jennifer. I uh, um. So I read the script, so that is set up. Um, Carol is set up at a studio, uh, and the script was great. It was really, really great. Um, there's a scene where in Unmarried Carol, there's a character named Smoke who um, has no lower legs. He like walks on like sort of these tin colanders full of oil, right? And he spends the night in this cat house. <laughs> <laughs> But just to sleep, there's no way smoke would ever be. He wouldn't give a care about anything else. Like he, no way, no way. <laughs> and so he just goes there to sleep, takes his legs off, and sets them aside. And he lays on this mattress. And he's like, oh. And this scene is not in the book, but it's in the script, where a woman does enter his room and starts massaging his non-existent lower legs. And while she is, he's like, like in ecstasy. Okay. And I was like, that's good. <laughs> I, like, I, I wish I would have. I wish I would have had that in the, in the book. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, like you got to see him uh, feel good for a second, and whoop, just yeah. just legs. Yeah. yeah. Ryan is also hoping for. I want a goblin show so bad. <laughs> yeah. so I wrote. I wrote the uh, pilot like script for that, and I'm really like kind of proud of that one. The script because it it pretty much just um. It never stops moving. Mm -hmm. So it, like the opening moment is 
um, Margot solving the hedge or knocking on the door of Wayne Sherman. She had solved the hedges. Then she takes off. Then he takes off. As he takes off, he passes Walter Camp, who's walking down the street, and he's like all like flustered and crazy. And Walter passes like this person, and it's all like a, like a baton handoff through the whole city, and you see all like the landmarks, and you get all the main players while Wayne Sherman's trying to get the f out of town because he's been found out. Mm-hmm. And I I feel really good about that script, but I mean we'll you know we'll see. We are trying to shop it. That and Carpenter's Farm also has some legs in that way too. Mm-hmm. We're gonna... things, by the way, real fast. Yeah, no, of course. These are all things that like I'm not like I'm I'm not supposed to be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole part, Josh, where you're like, no, I'm not gonna. No, yep, I'm yeah, gonna no, talk about like, it. It's it's all fun, it's awesome, and why not? Oh, why it, everything feels a little too Fort Knoxy for me, you know what I mean? It's yeah. a little too like like, oh, we gotta be secretive about what a TV show, shut up. Like, how you wrote the script? Like, let's roll, man. It's fine. Life is meant to have some fun, okay? Yes, Loosen exactly. up. <laughs> like, really, the only thing we're not allowed to talk about is the good news, but we but we, we can talk all day about the bad news. <laughs> or no process. Don't share. We need to talk more about the process, too, like the yeah. in-between stuff. We're going to turn it to the inner child question segment. Are you ready, Josh? Uh yeah yeah (laughs) first question what was a legend that you believed as a kid that terrified you on the summer camp i went to there was one about a maintenance man named joe krepsy which is like cropsy or whatever but it was joe krepsy and that he uh he went like crazy or whatever and either hurt people or whatever, but then still lived in the woods around. And I don't know if the counselors did this on purpose. I'm sure they did. But Joe Krebsy wore like a red flannel like jacket and there were like pieces of it like in the woods just randomly. So you would be out doing some other activity two days after hearing the story and you'd see like a little little of that red flannel like hanging in a tree. And that scared. That was like the real deal scared me. I, I, I bought it. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because then your mind is racing on everything that could have happened by this yeah. piece of flannel. Right. Because right, exactly. I'm like, so mm-hmm. snagged on it. Also, we weren't even that young. I mean, we weren't even like eight or something. I think we were more like twelve or thirteen or fourteen when I was believing this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? I don't know what it is with thirteen and fourteen. I feel like I had more nightmares <laughs> and terrors at thirteen and fourteen than I did at seven and eight. Like legit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I had a recurring nightmare when I was a kid. We did not have a housekeeper, but I had a dream that I had recurring dream that I had killed ours. <laughs> and this was really, really scary. So in the dream, mom would be, I'd be laying in bed and mom would be sitting on the bed, like talking to me and like, and, and the whole time I felt guilty for having killed a housekeeper or something. Oh. But while mom's talking to me, I would hear these like slippers that the housekeeper wore, like coming down the hall. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like the, whatever the ghost of this housekeeper is, I was more afraid for mom knowing that I had done what I did than I was about what this ghost of this housekeeper is going to do to us. That guilt, man. Total guilt. It was, mom's going to know I killed her non-existent housekeeper. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. 
as a teen, what is something that you thought about often in putting in your Jolly Journal? If you had a Jolly Journal. I mean, I, I 90% would have to be girls. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> 10% was left to future and care about the world. And But that 90% would be, yeah, for sure. No, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not even trying to be funny. That's probably true. That's probably the right numbers. And then, um, but <laughs> uh, I, at that point, I already did start thinking in terms of like, What's the right phrase? Like maxing life out, like getting the most out of yourself, these kind of things. And I imagine mm-hmm. that I would have started. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that meant a, by way of novels. If we're talking like 13, 14, 15, I didn't know exactly what that meant yet. But the idea of maxing yourself out. Yeah. I would have for sure written about that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally was there too. Of Starting at 15, like, oh, am I supposed to know what I'm doing? Kind of. Like, what does that look like? But also still trying to be the essence of a kid. Yeah. You know, team. Yep. Still yeah. being, like, free free floating and and still trying to do that balance today. Yeah. Maybe you're, yeah, still that mm-hmm. same balance today of wanting to be open to, aware and open to both those things. Mm-hmm. I'm 39 and I'm like, hell to this whole adult thing. I will be responsible to a point, but I'm going to live my life as, like, the inner child part. That's what keeps things going for me. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Sean, hello, hello. Don't tell mom the housekeeper is dead yet. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. I can still see the like slippers that I imagine. And like, like there was like carpeting and it was like, I had no idea what that was, man. Again, the sound thing. The sound thing seems to be a sensory detail for you, Josh, with more. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Definitely. You know, Allison, one time said to me, we were watching a scary movie and I was so freaked out. And I was like kind of hiding behind her. <laughs> like, have you ever just tried plugging your ears instead? Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Does No. And then I did it and I was like, wait a minute. This isn't scary anymore. Now it's just a bunch of people in makeup going like, mm-hmm. <laughs> once, you, once, once you get rid of like the audio, there's, it's not scary. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> what is, Josh, an odd food combo that you've liked and tried or you've just tried? Outfit? Odd food combo. Oh, odd food. But let, we'll do outfit too now. <laughs> <laughs> odd food combo that I liked and tried. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus. I don't know, man. <laughs> That's a really hard one. I mean, no, that's not odd. That's not odd enough. Like, I'm I'm one of those guys that has pineapple and pizza, but that's not odd enough. But, I, but that kind of thing online, everyone's like, this is the worst thing ever. Um, odd <laughs> food combo. I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I mean, if you count like when you're stoned or something, you know, then like, you know, I mean, I've had like pizza sauce and waffles and stuff <laughs> i mean yeah i have not done pizza sauce on waffles so how was that for you josh you're like well i mean it's british it's oh my god you're like so so you're like i'm gonna have a waffle pizza <laughs> just put 
two together. Everything tastes better in that Amazing. state, anyways. Great. Yeah. So is straight maple syrup when you're stoned. I don't I don't get high that often, but I did the other night and it was insane. But anyway, I don't. <laughs> you had shots of maple syrup uh the other night. Was that did you get a sugar rush or crash? No, 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 no. No, no, no. I got stoned the other night. I haven't done oh. that. I, haven't done that. <laughs> I went and saw um drummer of Pink Floyd, of course. I mean, really, you got stoned. Nice. And I usually don't uh smoke grass maybe <laughs> once a year, twice a year, whatever it is. But at that show, oof, I like went for it and I had to leave. I was so scared. The band's playing this amazing song and there was only five chairs for me to walk to get to the aisle to leave. I was like, I have to leave. You know, I'm like out of my mind. And I was like, I don't think I can walk those five chairs. I don't think I can. And there was no one sitting in them. I was like, <laughs> I can't walk this far. It took me like five minutes to like get up the nerve to convince myself you can walk that far. You can, you can do this. Just stand up. And when you're standing, then we'll have the momentum of standing. Then we can walk, you know. And I just, I just left. I left my friends there. I didn't even say goodbye, but they understood. They're like, he got, he got too stoned. He's out. You were pep talking yourself just to get through it. Like that's where you were focused. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jennifer, uh, maple syrup on cheddar smart food. I have never done that, wow. and I'm curious. If you drizzled it on the cheddar and then shook the bag like a whole bag experience, Jen, let us know. Yeah, other people, like yeah, anybody else give us give us a more food combo. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, before we end today, Josh, what is some advice that you can give our listeners and viewers on living a creatively abundant life? That one's easy. Just get rid of the words good and bad. That's it. And and I think that no matter what we're talking about, whether it's writing a book or making a movie or whatever it is, the first go round or the raw footage or the rough draft is going to change so much by the finished thing that why beat yourself up? Why tear yourself apart? Why kill yourself over what that rough draft is? Um, this isn't good enough. I'm not expressing myself in full. This isn't me. This is someone else's voice. Okay. So get, get those 300 pages down and let me let them be terrible let them be awful and then now go fix it and with this discerning mind of yours that is so aware of all these things which which is true now go fix it i, I think i read some quote by neil gaiman something to the effect of like first write everything that happens in the story and then the second draft is make it all sound like you meant it and and, and whatever that is like it's the same thing like don't be afraid of tangents. Don't be afraid of like um, uh, adding uh, characters halfway through the book for no reason. Because then when you go back and look, you're like, oh, you know, I really liked, I really liked Dana. I'm going to, I'll bring her in earlier in the rewrite, you know, these kind of things. So, but to a first time like novelist, they might be like, there is no Dana. I can't bring her in halfway. Yeah, you can. You can do anything. You could finish the book halfway and tell another story for, about the, the character goes through for the second half. And then synthesize those into one novel the second time, the rewrite. So I think be open to, uh, be always open to like any, anything can be a story idea. Get rid of the words good and bad. And one more thing, <clears throat> I think that, it, it, what's the right phrase? It's like, just don't, I, I guess it's just don't wait for inspiration. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. Don't, don't wait for like the day where you like feel like it. Just do it. Just do it. If you wrote every day for the course of a year, 
and you went, or even a month, and you went back and read what you wrote, you would not be able to tell us which which scenes were inspired and which were not. Mm-hmm. And I think that once you realize that, then you're like, well, then why don't I write every day? And once you realize it doesn't matter if the rough draft is right or wrong, well, then why don't I write anything every day? One more thing, one more little bit of advice. <laughs> is that I, I discovered this like with the band is that you would be like, like you would think that like, if I did this, this, that, this isn't me. Like if I sang a song like this, that's not me. Or if I, or if we had a song that went like this, that's not us. Or that, and you think it's, that's more like so-and-so, but then when you do it, you don't end up sounding like so-and-so you sound like yourself stretching. You've now added to what you do. So I think that that's, that's another thing too is like, it's not a matter of don't do the same thing every time. It's a matter of like, don't be afraid to stretch. If you try something new, uh, even whether it's genre or just story idea or an angle for the story, once you do it, that's, that's you. That's part of you. That's part of what you do. And it's no longer just something that some, someone else does. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Josh. It has been an honor to laugh and chat and hang out with you today. <laughs> yeah, me too. Where can our listeners and viewers find you if they have any questions about Daphne or any of your upcoming projects? Um, it's just my last name or me, my full name, Josh Bellman <laughs> and Instagram and everything. And the band is the high strong. Um, and, and the band is everywhere in terms of like Spotify and all that stuff. Like you can hear the albums. Um, uh, anyway, that you would hear just like the books are wherever books are sold. So I remember the first time I saw up here post that they were like available now, wherever books are sold. And I was like, Whoa, that, okay. That's, that's, <laughs> is that true of me now? You know, like whatever books okay, well, I'm going to use that. I like that. And then I was like, Oh, that's what everyone does. <laughs> Sounds like a snazzy line I'm going to use. Yes. Thank you again so much for being here, Josh. And for all of those who have joined us today, we're so grateful to have you here. Remember, as you go about the rest of your week to find the things that are working around you, you are the creator of your own story. What steps are you going to take next? Have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, thank you. That was amazing.